Sawete discipuli discipuli que lingua latinae, mihi valde placet vobiscum iturum loqui, et vos pulcram linguam latinam aeternam docere. In the last lesson, we looked at conditions or if-then clauses, both indicative and subjunctive. In this lesson, we continue to expand our range, looking in particular at provisos and temporal clauses. But as long as we are reviewing clauses that use the subjunctive, we will review a few other types you've seen before as well. The good news is that, again, there are no new forms to learn. Rather, we will look at a few conjunctions, learn their meaning, and then learn what to expect in terms of sequence and mood. What sometimes strikes students as difficult about such clauses is the appearance of the subjunctive mood. Why should that strike students as difficult? Well, we do not use subjunctives much in English. You, however, have regularly encountered subjunctives from the very beginning of this course. It should feel as natural to you as the indicative, and indeed in Latin, it is. And good Roman authors employed the subjunctive as easily as we deploy such modal auxiliaries as would or must. The subjunctive is part and parcel of what makes Latin syntax tick. And you don't have to worry about using it correctly because Roman authors have already done that for you. Our task is to recognize the clauses, understand them, and enjoy the constructions. When we talk about clauses, we generally refer to the subordinate clause, which, although as a clause it will have a subject and a predicate, cannot stand independently. The main clause could, of course, stand independently, but its meaning, thought, or logic requires the clarification provided by the subordinate clause. The main clause will also exert an influence on the sequence of tenses, as certain tenses of the subjunctive follow certain tenses of the indicative in the main clause. By sequence, as you may recall, we indicate what follows what. In subordinate clauses, present and perfect subjunctives follow present and future tenses in the main clause. Primary sequence refers to present and future time in the main clause. Past tenses, on the other hand, are secondary. And in secondary sequence, we'll find imperfect and pluperfect subjunctives in the subordinate clauses. But these are details we can appreciate when the time comes. The easiest way to recognize provisos, concessive clauses, stipulations, conditions, temporal clauses, is to recognize the particles or conjunctions that introduce them. Clauses of proviso may be introduced by dum, modo, dum modo, or tantum ut. They may all, they all, all of these words may be translated as provided, although we can translate them in other ways too. So let's look at some examples. When the emperor Caligula was told that he was hated, he replied with a famous quotation from a Latin tragedy, a bomo in the form of a Latin proviso. 
Both the main clause and the subordinate clause are in the subjunctive for reasons that we will soon explore. What did, what did Caligula say? Odorant dometuant. Please repeat. Odorant dometuant. Let them hate, provided they fear. The first verb has odd principal parts, odi odisse. This verb is so defective that the present tense forms do not exist, and the perfect tense forms are used in place of the present. This is the reason why a perfect subjunctive, odorant, is translated as a hortatory subjunctive in present tense. Let them hate. Now for the proviso, introduced by dum. We note first that dum, when used to stipulate provisos, takes the subjunctive. The principal parts of the verb to fear are, please repeat, metuo, metuere, metui, metutum. So we have a third conjugation verb whose present tense subjunctive will be characterized by the vowel a. And indeed, metuant is a present tense subjunctive. Caligula knew how to stipulate, or quote, a proviso using the subjunctive. Odorant dum metuant. Let them hate, so long as they fear. We do not use the subjunctive, or at least a form we recognize as subjunctive, but Latin does. And another clue is dum. What about the sequence of tenses? Latin uses the present and perfect subjunctives after present, future, and future perfect verbs in the main clause. But odorant, let them hate, is in the perfect tense. Did Caligula or the playwright make an error in the sequence of tenses? No, because although odorant is perfect in form, Latin uses it with a present tense meaning, so Caligula follows the sequence quite logically. A present subjunctive in the subordinate clause follows a present idea in the main clause. Without the subjunctive, dum can simply refer to time meaning while. Here is an example from Cicero. Please repeat. Ita wiwunt. Dum possunt. Thus they live while they can. Or, to use less terse English, they live in this manner so long as they are able to do so. Without the subjunctive, there is no proviso. And here is another example from Cicero, but this time with a subjunctive. Cicero says that he is willing to be blamed for Catiline's expulsion from the Senate, but under one condition. Dicator Catalina ejectus esse a me, dum modo, eat in exilium. Let Catiline be said to have been thrown out by me, provided only he go into exile. Dico dicere is a third conjugation, present tense, passive, hortatory subjunctive. Let him be said. Ejectus esse is a perfect passive infinitive, to have been thrown out. 
we can compare eject. And dum modo is a more emphatic form of dum, provided only, which takes the subjunctive eat, a present tense subjunctive form of eo, ire, iwi, itum, meaning to go. Please repeat. Dicatur Catalina. Ejectus esse a me. Dum modo. Eat. In exilium. Let Catiline be said to have been ejected by me, provided only that he go into exile. Did you notice that I slipped in an English subjunctive? Provided only that he go into exile, as opposed to an indicative, provided only that he goes into exile? You can use whichever you prefer and swim against the indicative tide or help preserve our vestigial subjunctive. The choice is yours, provided you permit me to review cum clauses. The word cum, when used as a preposition with the ablative, means with, as in, with the highest praise, summa cum laude. But, when used as a conjunction, can mean whenever, with the indicative, or, although, when or since, if used with the subjunctive. These subjunctive uses of cum can be further classified as concessive, when cum means although, temporal, when cum means when, or causal, when cum means since, or inasmuch as. How can one tell what cum may mean in any given instance with the subjunctive? Try out the possibilities and decide which makes the most sense. Here's a simple example. Let's translate it all three ways and then decide. Please repeat. Cum caesar non pugnet, wink it. First we note that there are no ablatives in sight, so cum can't mean with. Next, we note that pugno pugnare is a first conjugation verb. Its theme vowel is long a. This means that the vowel e in pugnet screams, absolutely screams, hello, I'm subjunctive. This means that we will not translate cum as whenever, and instead proceed to our three subjunctive possibilities, causal, temporal, or concessive. If we translate cum causally, we could say, inasmuch as Caesar does not fight, he conquers. Yeah, remotely possible. Perhaps this conquest required diplomacy rather than force of arms. Let's try translating temporally. When Caesar does not fight, he conquers. Again, remotely possible. Perhaps battling kept Caesar away from the business of conquest. On the other hand, this does not square with the known facts of Caesar's career. And finally, let's translate concessively or adversatively. Although Caesar does not fight, he conquers. This translation, I would argue, makes the most sense, especially if we have no other context as one normally associates 
Caesar's conquests with battles. Can I state that there is a right or wrong answer in this instance? Not absolutely. And it is frequently the case that we cannot definitively define a cum clause as one type or another. We can also use this simple example to illustrate the sequence of tenses. The main clause in our sentence was one word, wink it, a present tense, he conquers. Wink it establishes what we call primary sequence. In primary sequence, subjunctives and subordinate clauses need to be either present or perfect tense. And indeed, pugnet is a present tense subjunctive. The perfect subjunctive is also possible for primary sequence. Please repeat. Cum caesar non pugnaverit, wink it. Although Caesar did not fight, he's conquering. But what if I make the tense of the main verb past? That puts us in secondary sequence, which means I should use either the imperfect or the pluperfect subjunctive in the subordinate clause. Please repeat. Cum caesar non pugnaret, weak it. Although Caesar was not fighting, he conquered. Here we see the perfect indicative weak it in the main clause and the imperfect subjunctive pugnaret in the subordinate clause. A past tense verb in the main clause can also be accompanied by a pluperfect subjunctive in the subordinate clause. Please repeat. Cum caesar non pugnavisit. Weak it. Although Caesar had not fought, he conquered. Note, too, that unlike our proviso clause, the translation of cum clauses betrays no hint of the subjunctive in English. If it weren't for the indicative use of cum, we wouldn't have to think about the subjunctive at all. Wondering how the indicative works? Please repeat. Cum caesar pugnat, wink it. Did you notice the long A in pugnat? That long A screams, positively screams. Hey man, I'm indicative all day long. When we see a verb screaming indicative, we have to translate cum as whenever. Whenever Caesar fights, he conquers. And we can do this in the past as well. Please repeat. Cum caesar pugnabat, weak it. Whenever Caesar fought, he won. There are other ways to form concessive clauses besides using cum with the subjunctive. Quam vis, ut licet, etsi, tam etsi, etiamsi, quam quam, can all, for example, be used to mean although, granting that, even if, and the like. Some of these take the subjunctive, some do not. Etsi caesar non pugnavirat, weak it. Even if Caesar had not fought, he conquered. 
Etsy, for example, can be used with the indicative. So how is one to keep track of such words? One does not really need to know everything in advance. If we are patient and willing to look up such words as we encounter them, they will reveal their meanings. What we do need to remember now is that concessive clauses, causal clauses, proviso clauses, and of course conditional clauses, not to mention purpose clauses, result clauses, and fear clauses, can all take the subjunctive. And this would be a good place to review purpose and result, as well as briefly introduce fear clauses. We can continue with our simple caesarean example. Inasmuch as result can derive from purpose, context is sometimes required to sort one from the other. Let's begin with positive purpose in secondary, that is, past tense sequence. Ut plus the subjunctive can indicate purpose. Please repeat. Kaisar pugnawit utwinkeret. Caesar fought so that he might conquer. Or simply, Caesar fought in order to conquer. If result rather than purpose is intended, Roman authors will frequently add adverbs to spell things out more clearly. Caesar tam acriter pugnavit, ut facile winkeret. Tam means so, or to such an extent. Acriter is an adverb from the adjective acer, which you know. The adverb acriter means fiercely, and facile is an adverb from the adjective facilis. It means easily. These help us understand that the intent of the author is to express result. Caesar fought so fiercely that he easily conquered. Negative purpose and negative result are easier to distinguish because they do not share a construction. Negative purpose is introduced by ne plus the subjunctive, and negative result is introduced by ut known plus the subjunctive. Compare. Please repeat. Kaisar non pugnawit. Ne winkirit. Caesar did not fight, so he would not conquer. Compare that with, please repeat, Caesar non pugnawit, ut non winkirit. Caesar did not fight with the result that he did not conquer. And this, believe it or not, brings us to fear clauses, which may best be understood as fears about one's intended purpose. A common verb for expressing fear in Latin is the deponent verb, warior, but I want you to repeat the principal parts. Please repeat. Warior, wereri, weritus sum. Caesar werebator would mean that Caesar was afraid or Caesar feared. Let us assume that Caesar was conducting himself with the purpose of conquering, 
that is, ut winkeret, so that he might conquer. Perhaps even Caesar was afraid sometimes. Please repeat, Caesar verebatur ut winkeret. What does this mean? Caesar was afraid about whether he would conquer. That is, he was afraid he would not conquer. Pompey, on the other hand, did not want Caesar to win. Pompey's purposes were aimed ne Caesar winkeret, so that Caesar would not conquer. What did Pompey fear? Pompeius verebatur ne Caesar winkeret. Pompey was afraid, lest Caesar conquer. That is, Pompey was afraid that Caesar would conquer. This may be counterintuitive in English, if we simply look at the individual words. Please repeat, Caesar verebatur, ut winkeret. Caesar was afraid he would not conquer. Please repeat, Pompeius verebatur, Ne Caesar winkeret. Pompey was afraid Caesar would conquer. But the fear is whether one's purpose will come to pass. Caesar verebatur ut winkeret. Caesar, whose purpose was that he should conquer, ut winkeret, was afraid that he would not. Pompeius verebatur Ne Caesar winkeret. Pompey, whose purpose was that Caesar should not conquer, ne Caesar winkeret, was afraid that Caesar would. The lesson? When you encounter ut or ne after a verb of fearing, translate these little words as the opposite of what our English-speaking brains might expect. And using archaic weather for ut and even more archaic lest for ne, can help too. In the time that remains, let us examine a bona fide example of ut and ne in action. The following example derives from Valerius Maximus's Facta Dicta Memorabilia, or Memorable Deeds and Sayings, and illustrates the religiosity of the Roman Senate after the general Hannibal inflicted a devastating defeat on Rome at Cannae during the Second Punic War. Valerius writes, and please repeat, Senatus post canensem cladem decrevit ne matronae ultra tricesimum diem luctus suos extenderent Utiabis sacra quereris per agiposent. This sentence begins with the main clause, the Senate decrevit. Please repeat. Decerno, decernera, decrevi, decretum. Our English verb, to decree, derives from decerno, and we can use decree as our translation. But what tense? Decrewit. Perfect. 
the Senate decreed. What will our sequence be? Primary or secondary? Past tense verbs introduce secondary sequence. So any, subjunct so any subjunctives, if Valerius follows the rules, should be in the imperfect or pluperfect. But we still have a phrase in the main clause. Please repeat, post canensem cladem. The preposition post means after, and it takes the accusative. So post canensem cladem tells us when the Senate decreed. Clades is a defeat or disaster, so after the disaster at Cannae. Please repeat, senatus post canensem cladem decrevit. Next, we encounter a type of negative purpose clause with ne plus the imperfect subjunctive because we're in what sequence? Secondary. Please repeat the clause. Ne matronae. Ultra tricesimum diem. Luctus suos extenderent. The Senate decreed that the matronae, or matrons, that is, the married women, should not extenderant. And the English derivative extend will work just fine. Extendo, extendera is third conjugation. So extenderant is an imperfect subjunctive in a negative purpose clause after ne in secondary sequence. The Senate decreed that the matrons should not extend what? Our direct object is luctus suos. Luctus means grief or mourning, and suus aum is an adjective that can mean his or her own or their own. Since the matrons are plural, we can say their. So what should the matrons not extend? Their grief, their ritual mourning. The accusative ending on luctus is odd, we'll deal with it in a future lesson. But we can tell it's accusative plural from suos. And we obtain a further refinement in ultra tricesimum diem. Ultra is a preposition that means beyond, and it takes the accusative case. Tricesimus aum is an adjective meaning 30th. And diem is accusative for day, as in our own pm post meridium, after midday. At all events, the Senate decreed, after the disaster at Cannae, that matrons should not extend their morning beyond the 30th day. Time to repeat. Senatus post canensem cladem decrevit. Nematronae ultra tricesimum diem. Luctus suos extendere. Why? A positive purpose clause explains their reasoning. Please repeat. Utiabhis sacra quereris peragi bosent. Uti is an alternative form of ut, which plus the imperfect subjunctive explains their purpose. Ab is a preposition meaning by that takes the ablative. Do you remember hikaikok? This or these? What form do we find after ab? Abhis would mean what? By these. And who might these be? The matrons. 
What is our subject? Sacra. Sacra derived from an adjective. Sacer, sacra, sacrum, which means sacred. But in the neuter plural, can serve as a noun, meaning sacred things which is how Romans frequently referred to religious ceremonies. But whose religious ceremonies? That is where the goddess Ceres comes in. Ceres, Cereris, was a third declension goddess of grain. Every time you eat cereal, you eat the gifts of Ceres. Can you translate Sacra Cereris? The sacred things or ceremonies of Ceres. Can I get a verb? Possum, posse, potui. Please parse possent. Posse plus nt, imperfect subjunctive. Translation, they might be able. But there's one more word, peragi. The verb means to complete. Please repeat the principal parts. Perago, peragere, peregi, peractum. Please parse peragi. Present, passive, infinitive, obtained by dropping the short ERE from paragora and adding the passive infinitive ending in I. Translation, to be completed. Please repeat. Utiavis, sacra quereris, peragi possent. And how shall we translate? So that... By these matrons, series sacred rites might be able to be completed. Let's try the whole passage. The Senate, after the disaster at Cannae, decreed that the matrons beyond the 30th day should not extend their mourning so that by them the sacred rites of series could be conducted. That's how religious the Romans were. They would not let the widows of Roman soldiers slaughtered by Hannibal at Cannae mourn for more than 30 days so that the sacred rites of Ceres could be conducted. The immortal gods were not mortal, so anything associated with death, mourning, for example, offended them. No person polluted by mourning could conduct the rites of a deathless goddess. But Cannae inflicted mourning on most Roman households. So the Senate simply decreed a limit so that the deathless gods could receive their due. And that, in the opinion of most Romans, is why the gods blessed Rome over and over again with military victory after military victory. No other people knew better how to worship the immortal gods. Valerius' story is what Romans called an exemplum. Roman resolve and religiosity in the face of disaster, they were unstoppable, as are you, my friends. Et nunc linguae latinae amatores potestis omnes exire, ut linguam latinam discatis. Gratias vobisago, et donec nos iterum uterimus, curate ut valeatis.